The Tablet Show, Episode 3, with guest Lino Tadros. Recorded live Tuesday, October 18th, 2011. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Lino Tadros about his experiences developing for WinRT, iOS, and Android. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Xamarin, offering tools for developing iPhone, iPad, and Android apps with .NET. Online at xamarin.com. And by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, guess what? It's the Tablet Show. Richard and I are here in Sofia, Bulgaria, in a hotel bar with Lino Tadros. Hey, Richard. Howdy, sir. Sipping a little Oban 14. Here's yes. To here's to you. To civilization. And to Lino Tadros, our guest. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. We just recorded a .NET Rocks panel session with Tim Huckabee and Stephen Forte and yourself on starting a business, and that went really well. Uh, but I want to talk to you because you're a .NET guy who got into iOS development and also uh, does MonoTouch, and as well as straight native iOS uh, with Xcode and all that, and Mono for Android. You're, you're sort of doing all of those things. That is correct. So, geez, where do we start with this one? I mean... Uh, what what do you for the for the dot net audience that's listening now? I mean, this being the third episode of the tablet show, probably still mostly a dot net audience. What do, what do, what do you have to say to them? I I must say, embrace it all. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out your motivation. You had a great business running in the dot net space. What made you take on new development environments? Obviously, mobile is hitting really hard. I yeah. mean, for the next three to five years, I think uh majority of our work is going to have to be involved with the, these tablets and iPads and the Windows 8 and the Android tablets. I mean, it's going really heavy. And also Gartner Group and all the big financial firms says by 2015, over 80% of enterprise in the United States will force their employees to have tablets instead of PCs. So we have to be prepared for that kind of stuff. And. Are you actually doing mobile development or tablet development, or, or is there much a distinction between them? Right now there is, but in the future there, was, there isn't uh, going to be much distinction between that. For instance, in the iOS, there is an iPhone development, there is an iPad development, but there is universal development, which is you just uh, write your middle tiers and the mo- models and the view models uh, once, but the views will be different, but it's one application. It will run in the iPad and the iPhone differently, but it's the same code base. So. Is it actually a different client for an iPad and an iPhone? Or views. It, only the views, but it's the, the same exact application. Same so exact you have one compiled app, and yes. it's just one compiled if app, iPad do this, it, if yeah, iPhone do it this? It knows that it's running on an iPad, so okay. it actually runs different views for it. So that's the universal app. Does your model in this kind of uh, an application exist mostly in the cloud, or is it all um, – Is it how much – How mu- I guess my question is I, I see an answer to a lot of the – compatibility issues to pushing as much stuff as I can up to the service layer in the cloud. 
and then having as thin a layer of UI as I can over that. Is that a really good strategy or is that pie that, in the that sky? That is a good strategy. The good strategy is not to have too much code that you'll have to rewrite for three or four different platforms. That will drive people crazy, I believe. But if you concentrate on the cloud, um, put uh, the, the model and also middle tiers, um, things like, for instance, MonoTouch and Mono for Android from Xamarin, uh, so that you can reuse all the stuff between all these platforms. And at the end of the day, you will have to write the UI in each platform separately. There is no such thing, in my opinion, that right once run everywhere as far as DUI. But metal yeah. tiers and models, that is co- the good thing to do. Now, doesn't HTML5 contradict this, that it is possible to build an HTML5 client that will run on all those platforms? Yeah, HTML5 is great, it's awesome, but not every application is going to make sense to be written in HTML5. Some things HTML5 will do great for, but some other things uh, companies are going to request and definitely demand that this is a native app running as fast as possible using the built-in features of the OS that they're running on. And let's differentiate between those two. HTML5 is really a browser app. So you have to launch the browser, go to the place and, and do all that. Isn't part of the lure, uh, in, of, uh, of running a native app, the fact that, for example, you don't have to log in every time you go to a website. One of the problems I have of going to websites on my mobile phone is like having to type in my username and password to every site. And I, and it's usually not formatted for mobile. So having an app for LinkedIn, for example, or for Facebook or for Twitter that can uh, persist my username and password, I don't have to constantly, uh, I mean, that little feature is enough for me to use an app, a native app, rather than an HTML. Sure, that's a good way to think about it. And also remember that each one of these devices have their own guidelines for user interface. Mm-hmm. For our Windows phone, they want to use the panorama and they want to use the pivot. And uh, iOS is a completely different story. Android is a completely different story. So um, not a lot of people will be, after writing the user interface in HTML5 once and run exactly the same way under all these platforms. Um, it will serve some purpose, definitely. It would be great. But for some applications, especially for line-of-business applications, companies are going to need to talk directly to the OS that they're running on. I'm just thinking line-of-business apps, you'd want it to be look the same no matter what the device was, just because now you're really branding to the enterprise rather than branding to the platform. Yeah, I, I take that back. You are correct about that. It's more of the consumer that you actually you want to give them what they are used to on right. that device. You are correct. Yes. Although, you know... You can get clever with CSS, knowing what the user agent is, and say, hey, I'm going to use different CSS for different platforms. So, you know, the structure of my page is common between the different platforms, but I can actually change the look by switching out the CSS depending on the platform. Yeah, not only that, but remember, for instance, for Windows 8, what we saw at Build in the conference is that Mm -hmm. although it's going to be HTML5, it's really not 100% yeah. HTML5. It's a compiled HTML5. You're writing a native They can app. do whatever they want inside of it as well. So they will have access fully to what's inside of the uh, devices. So and now I'm starting to feel like HTML5 is a pretty viable option for a lot of stuff, especially when we're talking just line of business app. It's, you know, because there's certain things in HTML5 now that are available, like the locations available. We're starting to take advantage of some of the hardware, too. I guess it's just a question of how far that goes. Sure. I mean, we talk about this all the time, and we feel like uh, it's going to still take another 12 to 18 months to really get the full companies like Telerik and uh, uh, DevExpress and mm-hmm. all the other companies that will actually make the, the grids and the charts and all the stuff available. For, uh, and is that a big piece of this equation here? Is great control suites for the different platforms? I, I believe so. I mean, the productivity has to be there for people to move their line of business application to HTML5. I mean, you can do a lot of things in it. It's JavaScript with HTML5. I mean, um, the third the third party has to be there. Isn't the success of these iPads and uh, in the iPad in particular, but the tablets, really the App Store? Isn't don't people really want apps, and aren't they willing to pay for them, and therefore? 
isn't isn't that where we should be concentrating our our efforts on? I I see the native app story as being the the business model for developers, not necessarily an HTML5. It's a game changer, right? Because you can be a one guy sitting in a garage right now, mm-hmm. uh, and you can actually learn how to do that stuff. Uh, watch some videos, read a book. Uh, you're a pretty smart guy. You can write your app and within a day or two, put it on the app store and start making $2.99. If you come up with the next Angry Birds, you're a millionaire, right? right. Now you don't have to be an enterprise uh, big company to be able to, to put something for availability on the masses. So that's what App Store brings to you. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, you talked about Angry Birds. It's funny that there's only one Angry Birds. Yeah. And I've heard this story before that if you compare the market size for these kind of consumer blockbuster apps, it's kind of like being a musician and wanting to be Michael Jackson. Yeah. Right? There's only one Michael Jackson. And there's a, there's, a, there's a subset of really big stars, but there are very few of them. And whereas for business software, the bread and butter has always been those line of business applications. So one of the... Th- questions that I'm constantly trying to uncover is what kind of business application works on a tablet or on a desktop with touch and what doesn't, you know? That's the the main thing that actually comes to my company, which is Falafel Software, to be able to go to a customer we've done out of .NET work for before, and now they want to get a, a view into their data. Not the whole application has to be written for the iPad or the Android tablet or whatever. They just want to give their um, business vendors, partners, employees, a view into some of that data using these tablets um, in an elegant way, fast way, using REST APIs, using OData, do whatever on these machines. And graphs and dashboard kind of apps. Exactly, dashboard kind of apps. But your implication here is you've got an existing application and you want to extend it onto these mobile platforms. I'm not saying that people are not going to build a full-blown application just for the iPad, right. but for 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 those of us who actually spend a lot of time in .NET, there's a lot of things built already out there, and people really want to just give a view from these devices natively sure. into that uh, that data. All right. I mean, you quoted that Gartner number off the top, which I, it seems madness to it, me. It, it, I thought that was crazy, but tell us the number. It was 80% by 2015 that um, major corporations in the United States will be requiring um, some kind of tablet, whether it's iPad. And uh, I guess the question is, are they talking about replacing the desktop PC for that employee with a tablet device? Yeah, that's what was the the message that was put out. And it was actually pretty scary for Microsoft, for instance, because they're counting on that business to be here for a long, long time. Well, and I mean… You do Bill Gates' legacy is the desktop on every desk, right? That yeah. PC on every desktop was his whole the whole thing that he achieved. Yeah, he did achieve. Now the idea is that are we going to have an, a tablet on every desk instead, or a, a tablet in every hand instead of every desk? So, well, like the, the battle here is actually thinking through the the work process. Uh, we are now so indoctrinated into having that. You know, what do you do when you get to work? You fire up the PC, like that's step one. To actually change workflows, that that's no longer the anchor of your, that's why you have a desk, is to host that machine. If that goes away, or are we really talking about tablets as PCs? Well, don't look at us. We are developers. We're going to always need a machine to sit down and write some code, but that's not the masses. The masses want to check their email. They want to do some PowerPointing. They want to do some Salesforce. They want to do if there is a good application to do the day-to-day job. Why do you need a PC? Well, you don't need a desk. And the interesting thing is that the Windows 8 really tablets that hybrid model, that you know, like the Build tablet, which is both a PC and a tablet, and it's sort of like an iPad, but 
You know, you ask any iPad user who also run has been running Windows, wouldn't you love to just be able to run a Windows app on that thing? You know, and they'll say, oh, yeah. So those are the kind of people that we're talking about. They want to they want to take their laptop and pick it up and walk around and then snack on information while they're walking around. But you you mentioned something, Richard, here that has really struck me in the in the last couple of weeks and that is the we've been in this mindset of the desktop and that screen has been the limit of our experience with that PC and that's why people like bigger screens and two screens because they can move things around and everything and let's face it our brain likes things in boxes we can't one of the problems of conceiving of space being infinite is that there's no boundary and when there's no boundary, our brain just goes, Ugh, sorry, I don't know. Um, we put like to put boxes around things to define them. Our brain likes that. And when you have something with touch, you have the ability to have virtual space with a, let's, with the scroll viewer control, for example, which lets you put, if you wrap your entire XAML UI in a scroll viewer, you can now pinch and zoom in and with, uh, with this, uh, Semantic zoom. Semantic zooming you that you described. Jump area described. Yeah. When you zoom in at a certain point, the detail goes away and you can show a completely different view. When you scroll out, you can show a different view. But now you can get used to the idea of an unlimited UI space that you can simply pad around in. And it becomes crystal clear just after a moment that like all the rules about overlapping windows go away, pop-up dialogues go away. Um, you know, when you can imagine a, a two-dimensional space for your application or even a three-dimensional space, now now that really frees you up in, in a kind of a terrifying but exciting way. It is a different way. You have to be open for change because there's a major changes coming to UI for the future, definitely. Well, it, you know, I used this line the first, the build right during the build keynote. I said, hey, there's no Windows in Windows, right? Because you fire up an app in WinRT, you know, in the Metro mode, it takes the whole screen. And you can flip between them, and there are certain abilities to share the screen, but they're very restricted. But it's the elimination of Chrome. And, and, you know, it drives me crazy that my wife maximizes Windows. Because I never maximize Windows. But I realize we're the anomaly, that we are all comfortable stacking Windows one on top of their, the other, and most people are not. They want one thing on the screen at a time, and, and Windows 8 is really trying to deliver that. But if the screen is infinite, then you don't have that problem. If you can swipe it with one finger and go to another screen, right. that changes completely the way it used to work before. Or pinch it and yeah. make it bigger. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, get that sense of a landscape of what's out there. They, they Really, they've created the metaphor of a larger space. The, the, that the window, the screen is not the limit of the space. It's much larger than that. But does the iPad work the same way? Do you have that same sense of, of scale? No. I mean, only on the home screen to be able to have multiple screens that have a lot of icons on it. But once you get into the side of an application, you can write it in such a way to mimic the panorama sure. in window. You can do whatever you want. But actually, their guidelines is that they want to have their toolbar at the bottom or the top mm -hmm. and have specific buttons that take you to different view controllers, different views. Right. So it's very specific. It's not open like the Windows way. I actually kind of like the Windows way. It's well, actually it, pretty is cool. It, is it an exciting moment to suddenly realize Microsoft's on the innovative edge of this? 
where Apple has dominated innovation in the space. I mean, on, could would we have the tablet opportunity we have today without the success of the iPad? There's no way, in my opinion. I mean, this has been going on. For, it's not a new idea. Even Microsoft has been working on a tablet that has two screens on yeah. the tablet, and they, everybody canceled their stuff. What uh, what Apple came up with was definitely yeah, You guys are all laughing at me because I own a tablet PC, right? I have a motion computing LE1700, which I managed to buy <laughs> about three months before they discontinued it. I'm the, <laughs> <laughs> but that was pen-based computing. That was before touch had really come along. And it's interesting that this tablet resurrected, uh, the Samsung tablet resurrected the old ink from the Microsoft tablet PC, which was probably before its time both software and hardware-wise. You know, the hardware wasn't where it is today. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by Xamarin. Are you a .NET developer looking to build native apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android platforms? Well, look no further, because Xamarin has brought the .NET platform to iOS and Android. With MonoTouch and Mono for Android, you get all the power of the native platform, including the native UI toolkits and thousands of native APIs, and still develop with the elegance of C-sharp and the versatility of the .NET base class library. One of the most powerful features of MonoTouch and Mono for Android is that you can utilize existing C-sharp code and third-party libraries written in C or C++ for each platform, or even Objective-C if you're writing iOS apps. And just as awesome... You can try them both for free. So join thousands of other .NET developers and head over to Xamarin.com slash .NET Rocks. That's X-A-M-A-R-I-N dot com slash D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S to receive 15% off your purchase and start developing apps for iOS and Android using C-Sharp and .NET. So this is all, this is all wonderful stuff, and um, I... I'm always going back to the business software thing because the demos that we were shown at Build were kind of like, you know, the RSS reader. And I looked at the RSS reader and I'm like, well, okay, I'm never going to write one of those for the App Store. And I looked at the weather app and I'm like, yep, okay, never going to do a weather app for the App Store. Like, you know, there are only so many of those information snacky things that you can write. But the way I looked at it was look at iPad apps and iPhone apps, the ones that are most popular are from companies that have a public-facing website where you go to get information and you want to get it quickly, like booking a flight. Like an airline would have a website, they would also have an iPhone or an iPad app so that you can check in, check the status of your flight. You don't have to enter your username and password every time. That's kind of important just to be able to get in, look. Um, Those are the kind of business apps that we're talking about that can be specific to a company. But now we're talking, okay, well, there's only so many companies out there that can do that public-facing website. Now we really have to go into the enterprise to find our market as developers. So again, let, let's hear from you, uh, Lino, about software that you've written for the iPad, for example, that works in the enterprise as sort of line of business software. I want to actually tell you about the project that we started last year that went haywire. It's called Eventboard. So Eventboard, we were coming actually here to DevReach, I believe, in Bulgaria last year, and we decided to actually create um, a Windows Phone application so that people can actually see their schedule 
and see the sessions and the rooms for the yeah. uh, so you don't have to have paper right right and also we wanted everybody to feel very comfortable whether they're running a windows phone or even an android or an uh, an iphone so we wrote them in three different platforms in okay. objective c in android and in uh, silverlight so sort of like a glorified calendar with specific information about the talks and searching and all exactly. that exactly and it was very 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 successful and the amazing part is that we went back to the United States and a lot of people started talking about it. And now we have tons of code camps and a lot of conferences worldwide. Microsoft is using it uh, in Europe and in the United States, VS Live, a lot of different conferences. So it's become very successful. So it went haywire. It had a life on its own. So now we went a lot further with it. So now you can actually rate the speaker, uh, give the survey, uh, and the whole data is on in the cloud using the, the uh, Windows Azure. Hmm. So it, And we're pushing from Windows Azure notification into the iOS and Android and Windows Phone, and now okay. we have it even on the Windows 8. That's interesting. So you're accessing Azure from iOS. Yes, we are. And is it a native iOS app, or are you using native Monotouch? O- Objective-C on iOS, Java on uh, in Eclipse for the Android, and Silverlight for the phone. And now we have one for the Windows 8 WinRT as well. And I got the WinPhone 7 version right here, looking at the DevReach data. So thanks for that. It's actually a really nice app. Yeah. But talking about the app design, like this version on my Phone 7 feels like a Phone 7 app. Yeah, it's it got that very metro look where the words sort of go off the side that imply scrolling to the left. I got to imagine your iPhone app looks completely different. Very different, and I have it here for the uh, for the iPhone. Mm-hmm. It has. Uh, we really believe that the application, the data coming from the uh, cloud and notification, needs to be very similar. But the user interface needs to be based on how that device was supposed to work, as far as guidelines for the user interface. So those device metaphors are the important. Very part. important. Yes, now, and that's why you say that the view is going to be totally rewritten for every platform. You shouldn't do it the other way. You, you should even try. if you find a company that will tell you, "Hey, if you come with us, so you write it once, run everywhere." I would still not do the user interface to look exactly the same way on their old platform. Okay, now talk to me about the. You did those all native Objective C, Cocoa, and and uh, Java Eclipse. What about where does the mono approach come into play? The, the mono for Android, mono touch. Yeah, mono touch and mono for Android is great to writing your middle T, writing the code. Mm-hmm. Um, I still write the user interface using uh, the Xcode from inside of the um, for mono develop, for mm-hmm. instance. That's all great. But the class library that we can create that we can use between Mono for Androids and Mono Touch, that will save us a lot of time to have to redo a lot of work. Interesting. It's the same assembly that will actually end up going to each device. And it's all C sharp. It's all C sharp. So something we know, we can use Lambda expressions. All the stuff that we love in C sharp is available. So if you don't want to spend a lot of time learning Objective C because it's a different kind of code, you have to really spend some weeks to, to get a, your head around Objective C. But in my opinion, as as wonderful as MonoTouch and Mono for Android is, you still need to learn some Objective-C and the Cocoa framework to feel first-class citizen what's going on in there. Okay. You're not going to jump straight into MonoTouch and MonoDroid and say, forget about Objective-C. You really need to understand and, that stuff as well. And that's a very good point. Now, are you saying that when it comes to the UI layer, that's where you really need to be in the native language and all the all the code that supports the UI well, even should in, be mono? Well, even in the mono touch, they actually punt on a designer piece when you actually want to do okay. design interface that opens up Xcode. So it's Xcode so that opens. Is so that the is that the architecture that you went with? You did the UI and Xcode? Yes. And and Java Eclipse for Android. Yes. For and Android. then you did everything that's real code in mono. 
No, actually, for for the event board, everything was was before its time. I guess we did everything in Objective C okay. for the iOS one. I think for the Mono Touch and for Mono Android, Mono Android was not available at the time when we did right. this. But for Mono Touch, if you remember the time when there was this uh, issue about if you write to your code for iOS other than Xcode, uh, it will not be acceptable right. for the App Store, yeah, and everybody got that. scared. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on something that Apple will never approve. All the stuff has been uh, fixed now, um, and it's back to normal. You can write your apps. There is hundreds. Of apps in Monotouch approved already on the App Store. Okay, so that so was a time where it was. So uh, if you're going to do it today, that's what you would do. I would have actually have written the the middle tier, all the code really uh, that brings all the old data and stuff. I can have done it once yeah. and compile it for the Mono for Android and for Monotouch. You've done it in C sharp. Yeah, all C sharp. And how much of that would have gone over to WinPhone Seven? A lot of the code. Mm-hmm. A lot of the code would be. I would be using the same um, HTTP web request calls. So nice. Available in C sharp, it would have been um, ready to go. And so that's your v- the whole view model, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So all the view models written in C sharp running across all three platforms. Only the views need the to be views. just compiled differently for each one. Yeah. And that's the easy part, really, isn't it? Yeah, actually, all of them really the are view. easy. I mean, I even told people in my session today here in Bulgaria is that don't be scared even of Objective C. I mean, when people look at it for the first time, it's different for us. But oh my goodness, it doesn't have a garbage collector. Uh, you have to allocate your own memory. But once uh, you look at that, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, I tell people languages. It's just a different background color, different font in your editor. Yeah. You know, you have to really start embracing that. It's just another language. It's so, not so tell me what it's like writing UI code for that. Is there a kind of a designer? Do we have the same kind of XAML-ish thing? No, Microsoft is way ahead of the game on that one. Really? I mean, in Visual Studio, it's really, uh, we're spoiled with a designer inside of there. So for when you're writing UI in, I, in, in Xcode, you're mapping it out with bitmaps and pixels and everything else. Uh, no, it's, uh, they have a designer. I mean, it's, uh, it used to be called the interface builder, but now it's built into the, the new Xcode. So we're running Xcode 4.2 with the iOS 5 that just shipped last week. And they have a decent designer. It's not as capable, of course, as the Visual Studio. Visual Studio has been really spoiling us, but uh, the one that is actually in poor quality uh, is the Android platform. Huh. There, there is no designer. I mean, they're expecting people to write XML code to actually lay out everything. You have to use third-party products like Droid Draw and stuff like that and just copy and paste your XML so that you can bring it. It's a, it's a pretty and, primitive. And I want to talk to you about the different markets because I know you have something to say about that. But before we do that, tell us what kind of hardware you're using to develop on. Um, anything that you, I want to do for uh, for iOS really need to happen on MacBook Pro. Running iOS and, or uh, running Yeah, You have to Lion? have the whole thing on Mac. You cannot do anything at all. Even if you want to use C-sharp, it has to be on a MacBook Pro. You cannot do it on any other Interesting. device. Okay. But for Android, you can. I still use it on MacBook Pro. You can use Eclipse or Mono, uh, uh, Mono Develop on the, uh, on the MacBook Pro, but you can also use it on Visual Studio 2010. Interesting. You can actually write it right inside of Visual Studio, and you can compile it, create the APK and everything, and... Put it straight on your device. But your Macs are running OS ten. I mean, you're, they're true. They're not hybridized. No, here. no, no. It's okay. Pure Mac. Pure it's Mac. The way you really need to be successful here, you're going to need you to do should. that. Yes. And would you advise uh, .NET developers to write their view model in C sharp in Visual Studio and then just take those C sharp files and compile them in Mono? Yeah, you can do that if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. For Mono for Droid, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the markets. Let's talk about the iPad, iPod, i phone market or the ios market as opposed to the android market what's your what's your sense of of these two different animals oh my goodness they are really different i mean uh, i feel like a lot of people complained about the apple uh, the app store mm. like well, my goodness they bring it too close to their chest they're not opening it up enough and all yeah. that stuff but you know what you get something out of that 
way higher quality apps than the one we get from the Google Marketplace, for instance. Yeah. And it affected the whole marketplace because now you don't see people buying anything. No spending money on the Google Android. If it's free, great. If it's not, I don't need it. Really? But for the App Store, people would spend money. People And they just paid almost $3 billion in commission. Now, does that say much about as much about the people who use them as it does the the technology i mean probably more your basic apple user is your educated you know college educated kind of got some money to flash around look at my i on my ipad aren't i cool got my beret you know kind of person uh the sophisticated computer user and the android guy is you know typically your sort of i that I mean, and you know, I'm totally don't don't hate me, but I'm totally stereotyping you guys here. Is you know, the sort of the anarchist kind of I want to download and root my phone, and you know, I spend three hours upgrading my BIOS. Open and source, open source, open source, source free, 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 free. Yeah, That's yeah. The kind of person I see all the time for right? Android has to be all open, has to all be free. Let's all love each other. And it doesn't mean that they're. I mean, these are brilliant people yeah, because obviously they're smart enough to to root their phones and to, to dig into the OS and to get really technical, but they're the tweakers. They're like the PC users of the 80s and 90s that were really into the messing around with your PC. Now a, a Windows user isn't so sophisticated technically, but uh, but the, we used to be really like, we used to be like you, Richard. We had to <laughs> desolder our own circuit boards when things got bad, you know, and I think that's where the Android is, that really geeky sort of technical uh, person, I think the fact that you can actually download all the Android stuff within 15 minutes, write Hello World, and see it running in front of you, and being able to package it and yeah. put it on the Google Marketplace within an hour, yeah, and nobody will stop you from doing that, I think that's scary. Uh, you shouldn't be able to do something <laughs> like that, you know, because we have thousands of apps that's completely useless, written extremely bad, and available for the, free for the, download. Yeah, the marketplace is kind of filled with garbage. Garbage, yeah. yeah. That's why, and it actually ruins the reputation for the good stuff in there because sure. they take automatically, ah, oh, there is a lot of garbage. That means the whole thing is garbage. So. Well, I also think, you know, that's not the only kind of people buying Android phones because they're way, they're not, they, they wouldn't sell any. It would be at a very rare phone. There's only certain people that are the really tweakers, and yet they're selling hundreds of thousands of Android phones. It seems to me the carriers are pitching Android very hard out into the marketplace. But I guess the question is, are those people buying apps or even installing apps? There is so much free stuff out there. And right. Stuff that comes from HTC and from Motorola that comes automatically on these devices that uh, regular people do not need any more than that. Right. And I, and I think that's the way the carriers like it, too. That yeah. The carriers do not want people installing apps on their phones, so they put everything on it that they, they should have. But what about these apps like I was talking about, like an airline company wants to have their app? Uh, they're they're going to have to make an Android app, aren't they? They have to. They have yeah. to. They have to. I think that will always happen. The newspapers, um, uh, all the hospitals now are looking. And I don't think the fact is about like how we choose. I mean, it's not about are we going to create this in iOS or Android or Windows Phone. I don't think that's the question. The question is like you are going to have to do it for all of them. Right. It's just you're going to have to start with one. But we, we had the same argument with should I build a Windows Forms app or should I build an ASP.NET app? We had the same argument. And I my answer was always do both. Hmm. You know, we I really feel like we haven't given WinPhone 7 much love in this whole conversation. Yeah. Is, is it just not relevant? Do the numbers not matter? Do you have demand from your customers for Phone 7 apps? 
Well, for us, yes. For us, because we are a .NET company, we right. build a multi-million dollar projects in Silverlight. It is an easy entry when we go and tell our customer, hey, and by the way, if you'd like part of your application to be available in the Windows Phone 7, most of the code is reusable because right. we've written the whole thing. So they feel like if you're gonna, if you spend a million dollars and you can spend another twenty, thirty thousand dollars to give a nice Windows phone, that's another check on the box. Right. They don't mind at all. So, but if somebody have written an application in Java, uh, or anything mm. else, C++, and then you tell them like, we're gonna have to spend a lot of time creating a Windows phone entry yeah. into the stuff, they're gonna have to think about it. They'll say, let's do the iOS one first and then we'll get back. So to it that. seems to me that a very valuable person right now, and even more valuable in the next five years is going to be the person that knows all of these platforms and knows how to maybe not your job is to build software for all these platforms, but to have built software for all these problems, to have done it and to know what the issues are so that when I mean, you be very highly sought after as a consultant, don't you think? Yes, I believe so, especially in the next um, few years. If you understand uh, the architecture and what it takes to build these applications with quality under the old platforms, mm -hmm. which when I say all, I mean iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. I mean, BlackBerry is still number three right now, but I think Microsoft is really closing down on that. They're going to probably take the number three. But for them to take number two or number one, that will take some serious time and some serious effort. But these three players uh, will definitely uh, be very, very good to know how to do development for the three platforms. Any comment on the WinPhone 7 app store comparing Apple to Android? Where does it's, it fall? It's closer to the Apple way than the, than the Google way, definitely. So it's, it's not a, it's the Wild problem. West, but is it as West. curated? Do you get turned down? Yes, you do get turned down, but um, usually for some things that logical, you know, right. like for instance, you forgot that if somebody changes uh, from dark to white to background, your phones don't show anymore, so they will shut you down with right. that kind of thing, simple things. With the Apple, they are uh, definitely they run the application through the ringer mm -hmm. to make sure you don't making any undocumented calls. If you are, you are done. You're right. out completely, and, and so on. And I'm sure uh, with with Mango, this stuff will will happen again. They don't want you to do something that will break in the future as well. And with WinRT in Metro, it's there's multiple points of vetting, from what I hear. Um, there's a, a co your your code will actually be decompiled and inspected. And they'll inspect the IL and find out if you're making any any crazy calls. And that's after the operating system just goes to town on you. If you're in a Metro app, you're using the same CLR as a desktop uh, .NET 4.5 app, you know, if we're doing VB and C Sharp, that is. And the, com the operating system imposes these restrictions on you, so you can't even compile if you're trying to hit, uh, you know, an, a, a call that won't work. But then on top of that, you're, when you submit it for the App Store, from what I understand, you you will be subject to another level of scrutiny. Um, yes, but you know what I love the most about Microsoft in that arena is that they told everybody in Build is that they are going to give you the tools that they are going to be using right. to certify your application. So you don't have to wait. It's uh, like Enigma. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going right. to wait. If you have the tools, if they run your the tools, yeah, okay, it looks good. But submit don't it. submit until you can run the tools yes. yourself and pass. Absolutely. With Apple, unfortunately, it's you send the app, I tested it, but I have no idea what they're going to be running out there to, right. to pass me or not pass oh, me. Oh, hail the almighty Oz! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, interesting problem. Thinking in terms of uh, comparing iPad to iPhone, it's, and you say it was just the view difference. I'm just thinking that you know Microsoft's taking a very different approach to doing tablets. Going to 
be more challenging to build. In some ways, it feels, feels like there's very little effort to make an iPad app once you've got an iPhone app. Yeah, with the with the universal views now that you can actually create, mm -hmm. uh, you really need to think differently. For the form factor difference between the two, there's so much more that you can do in an iPad than an iPhone that it should be thought about differently. And there is some controls that they have just for the iPad. Right. Having the uh, the panel on so the side. So it's not as close as you think. It's they really do have to do some thinking. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, here's a here's another question. In terms of if I have a Windows Phone 7 application and I have a Silverlight application, which is going to be easier to move into Metro? I, I think it's not that big of a deal between it. Whether really? it's Silverlight or a Windows Phone 7, uh, I mean, they're using both Blend 4 or Silverlight yeah. 4. Uh, I think the, the, you think the Windows Phone 7 is more constrained, so it's probably more natural to move. Yes, I that. think definitely yeah. because of the panorama mm -hmm. and the pivot and all that stuff, it will uh, make more sense because of, it, you'll feel like you're a first-class citizen of what's going on on the Windows. And your RC. XAML pretty much is can be designed yeah. the same way. I mean, you, you've already thought about redesigning your application, whereas Silverlight applications business-wise tend to look like Windows Forms applications maybe. That is correct. Yes, that is correct. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. Yeah, the challenge on all these apps is ultimately going to be doing any sense of data entry, typing more than a couple of words. Because, you know, touch keyboards are all well and fine, but they're never as good as a real keyboard. Yeah, but that's the one thing that people unfortunately don't understand is mm -hmm. that if you're trying to do data entry, you're on the wrong device. This right. is not about a grid with, with cells in it. That, that, I mean, I see a lot of people, how can I actually get a grid? Uh, this is, yeah, it's the wrong you're question. on the wrong device. Move. If you're asking people to enter that kind of data on the device, you're on the wrong device. But we're back to the Gartner argument. How is 80% of, of workers going to get, give up that practice? I think pretty much all of them just filling in their expense reports. I mean, that alone, I need a PC. So what it means is that those classic applications that require lots of data entry are going to stay on the PC. And the ones where, um, where there isn't that, I mean, pretty much if you just take that off of the requirements list, how many, what percentage of applications are left? Like when you talk about business applications, you're obviously talking to a database somewhere. Um, but is it the reporting side or the dashboard side? That's the no brainer. I get that. Yeah. But there's got to be these applications in the middle somewhere where maybe you're not doing data entry, but maybe you're searching with a couple of keystrokes, you know, for things and maybe 
analyzing stuff. What I'm, I'm not sure. The controls are available in our world today. Yeah. Like a grid and the text boxes next to each other for first name, last name, and yeah, address and phone number. That does That's work. the part. I'm not saying that it will not be a data entry. It's just the way you represent the request for the data entry right. will be different mm-hmm. so that it makes sense. I don't know what the control will be, but it needs to be. They can only ask you for one thing at a time. You are not going to see 10 different text boxes on top of each other, and you have to use your smallest finger to be able to get to the one that you are trying to, to, to click inside of. There has to be a different kind of representation to ask you for that data to be entered in an elegant way and then goes into a tab rotation way to go between all these controls in a meaningful way, but not the way we are used to it with yeah. cells, small cells inside of a grid and all that. But just writing email. You know, I'm still, I'm hung up on this Gartner thing. Like, really? 80% of the people and last time I looked, they all write email. If, if we if really, if the tablet's not a viable typing device, how can we eliminate the PC? But you know what? They said the same thing about the phone, right? And then the Blackberry came out and people are texting on their phones I send hundreds of email every day. Right. it works. You got used to it. But you do it on your phone. I do it on the phone and the iPad. Right. Maybe it's just because the email applications are tailored to the desktop. Like even the Google, even Gmail, like has a lot of complexity on that website. But your iPhone email app is really scaled down to just getting at the task and doing it. Um, so, you know, that's maybe it's just a rethinking in a, in a, a cleaning up of the I user think interface. The secret was rethinking. You have to really rethink what you're trying to accomplish. Instead of taking the same thing we've been doing for so many years yes. and trying to shoehorn it inside of the iPhone and the iPad and Windows Phone 7 and Android, it's a different thing. What exactly the message that you're trying to send somebody somewhere else? Right. And how can I get you to do this in the fastest way possible, most elegant way on these devices? There's one thing that uh, I'm taking away from the, the talk that we just did with Tim and Steve and you, uh, and that is to, when you're listening to the customer, don't do what they want. Try to interpret what they say and d- discern what the problem is and then address the problem. Like that, that's what you really need to do. When you're looking at software design, you look at what is the problem I'm trying to solve or what is the goal that I'm trying to reach and now completely take everything you know about UI off the table, start from scratch. How can I solve this problem with these tools? Two of the best things I've ever heard uh, in the Bay Area from Steve Jobs. Um, I had the, the pleasure of hearing two things. First of all, experts um, don't know how to do things. Otherwise, they would not be experts. They would just go do things. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like I advise. Why? Because I can't do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the other one, customers don't know um, what they want. What they want. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, the line from the other show was, uh, we don't actually want faster horses. Yeah. You know, that, 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 we want cars. Yeah. But nobody ever asked for a car. They asked for a faster horse and you've got to interpret that and say, well, how do I deliver that and so much more? And you have to be able to change your mind. I mean, a lot of people always thought about Steve Jobs. If you remember that he's a egomaniac and whatever. And he said no apps for the iPhone. Remember right. Remember that? He did. We will not have apps Everything will be iPhone. through Safari. Yeah. Everything. No apps. He hated the idea. But six months later, he was proven wrong by his team. And he changed his mind. He's like, I was wrong. And well, and the reality, you know, his customers hacked his phone and did it anyway. Yeah. It's like, are you going to get on the get in front of the parade that's already walking away from you or not? And he did. And. I mean, the rest is history. It said billions of dollars billions. and Amazing. and really changed the, the market entirely. I think this is the, that whole HTML5 native app thing. It's like, look at what's happened and tell me how we could possibly, you know, ignore the you value of the native table. apps. Well, um, one of the things that I showed off here at DevReach and I'm going to be talking about, so I want to tell my listeners about it, is, um, you know, there's no modal windows in uh, WinRT. In WinRT. 
So what I did is I created a dialogue helper where if you're in a scroll view, you have the ability to scroll to the size of, uh, you know, to the extent of your application. And you have a stack panel, which contains a user control. And you wrap your, so you have at the outside, scroll viewer, stack panel, which goes horizontally, and then user control, which contains your main window of your application, let's say. And now you want to ask a question, you know, like we would do with a message box in C Sharp. We would say, you know, would you like to do this or that? Yes, no, blah, blah, blah. And we can't move on until we have the answer to that question. So what you can do is fundamentally disable the user control and then add the user control that has the question to the stack panel. And then the scroll viewer moves it over so that it's in, in view. And when you're done, you come back, you re-enable your user control, which is essentially doing what a modal uh, dialog box does, but it doesn't overlap the window. Um, this is, uh, I wrote a little helper to do that. And I'm not so sure what to think of it. I mean, it solves the problem, but is that basically taking a, a paradigm that already exists and trying to shoehorn it in? Um, is there a better way to solve that problem? Is, uh, you know, is the no modal dialogue, uh, or the no modal windows there for a reason other than the fact that it's not, that you don't want to hang an application? You know, what, what do you think about the whole modality thing? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of smart people at Microsoft that have been thinking about this, whether we're going to allow modal dialogues or not. Yeah. One of the things that I always think about, if they came out at the end and says no modal dialogues, I'd rather not spend the time to find a way working around it. Yeah. There is a reason why they didn't want us to do it. Well, I would say this. Have you ever met a modal dialogue you liked? No, never. Actually. Well, the problem, the of way. course, with modal <laughs> dialogues is, you know, they can stop your application cold. Yeah. But then again, are those are there situations in your app where you need an answer to something before you can move on? Well, just remember that the model, again, is different. What happens if while this modal dialogue is up on the screen, I switch to another app? All right. So there's a lot of things that are going on in the message loop oh, on true. these things that are very different than what we are used to. It's not running in memory somewhere. No, the the way the operating system runs on these devices, they have the right to pull the rug from underneath you memory-wise completely. So also, you're in a state now that uh, can be very difficult. Also, when you have a modal dialogue, the thread for your UI stops. Whereas if you're using this method that I'm doing, yeah, okay, your user control is disabled, but your code's still running. And you can still update your panels and your tiles and everything else. So it isn't really the same. This is like having like a div in an ASP.NET showing up like it is as if it was a modal dialog, but it's a div and you gray out the entire back of the screen. You're doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like it's built yeah. But into you, the but it, and I've seen your code in action, right? It stacks into the right. It's like breadcrumbs on a website. In fact, it's clearer because your trail is visible on the screen. I actually think it's an interesting metaphor, you know, making it feel modal may be the, the conflict, but the fact that it's, you've done this and that's led you to this, which has led you to this, and then you pop back up again, I think it's a really coherent metaphor. And it's distinctly metro-ish. Even though you, you, you know, you came to it from how do I deal with modality, you're presenting it as something that I think is better than modals or breadcrumbs or any of the alternatives. It's really an interesting metaphor for how we manage hi the hierarchy of content in an application. Yeah, and of course there are more ways to do it, but um, again, I would just stress that your UI thread is not hung while you're doing this, unlike a modal dialog that's just sitting there. And it's very important for mobile. Very well, important. I, well, I think the, the problem with the modal dialog, 
fundamentally is it was an OS thing, right? It's when the OS gets involved, it has too much power. And it's better that we stay in our apps and we do these representations for, for directing the user on what we want them to look at, Nick, without, you know, hitting them over the head, over the head with the OSness of it, right? Like that's the real conflict is that modals had too much power. You know, they were hanging apps and that's not right. This, you know, I'm thinking about Outlook again, where it's just like at any time that you think what you need to do is more important than what I want to do, you're wrong. <laughs> right, the user is always the most important per- thing in the equation. But what what you've done with that particular device, maybe we've got to show this to people more often, is letting the app show you this is what is next, and here's how you got here. And I think that's very compelling. It's better than the wizard approach. It's better than the modal dialogue approach. Like it's so clear where how you got to where you were going. Yeah, it, it remains to be seen how it works out. But I'll I'm going to share the code with people and and see what they what they think. But, I got to tell you guys, what's exciting to me is that we get to experiment with UI again, yeah. that we are living in a time when we're trying, we, we've been encouraged and given tools to think differently about how we present information to users. Yeah. I and that's, that's exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, Lino, what, uh, what is your next big project for, for the tablets that's going to span all of them? Or can you talk about it? No, I don't think I can talk about that, but there's a lot of fun stuff <laughs> so coming So the up. fact that you can't talk about it is just another testament to the fact that people, this is the new gold rush. You really yeah. need to get on it. Yeah. That's because, like I told you, the idea is that if you share the good ideas that my team is working on and so on, there's this guy sitting in the garage listening to the uh, the uh, sure. to the, to the show and they say, like, oh, I can do that really fast. And probably they can. And, so now it's uh, it's the era of the ideas and the patents, right? Mm-hmm. That's the time right now is that whoever has the most ideas, the most patents wins. <laughs> yeah, I think we do a whole show around patents, oh, but man. I do also like the conversation basically on we're back to the small agile team being able to make stuff. Exactly. That uh, a lot of software development got very, very big and uh, became very unagile because when you're betting, you know, uh, I work with lots of guys in the game industry and these big game companies they're betting several million dollars before they have everything to show. So they bet incredibly conservatively. You know, I think the resurgence of, of the, the, the lightweight game of the, the, the casual game was really about small experimentation. It, it came up with very original stuff, a la Angry Birds. And I think we're going to see the same thing in the tablet space. It doesn't take very many people to build an interesting app if you've got a good metaphor and, uh, you know, you're solving a problem in an original way. So we're back to two or three guys can actually get some results. We currently have three big customers actually at Falafel that we're working on major iPad and uh, iPhone application mm-hmm. for that are very interesting. Unfortunately, I can't talk about it, but the idea behind the application themselves are really uh, revolutionary. It's just pretty cool. Very we profound time. So we'll talk about it when it launches, right? I promise we will. I love it. Thank you, Lino. Thanks, Lino. It was a pleasure. As always. All right, great. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much money. Just try and then forget You're not the only one